0: Hello, you're listening to episode 115 of Commonplace. I'm Rachel Zucker. In this episode, you'll hear guest host Valentine Connody's conversation with Moheb Solomon, recorded back in April 2023 at the Association of Writing Programs conference in Seattle, Washington. Moheb Solomon is an interdisciplinary poet from Egypt and the Midwest. He has presented writing, performance, installation, and video work at diverse literary art and public spaces in the U.S. and Canada with support from the Banff Center, Pillsbury House, Joyce Foundation, Minnesota State Arts Board, and the Tulsa Artist Fellowship. He holds degrees from the New School for Social Research and the University of Toronto and currently lives in Minnesota outside the Twin Cities coupled with hybrid writer Catherine Savage, her son, and his dog. His first book of poems, Homes, House Press 2021, dwells in the natural cultural sprawl of the Great Lakes region as it reckons with issues of modernity, identity, place, and belonging. I had the pleasure of listening to this conversation between Valentine and Moheb for the first, second, and third times while walking at the beach near my home in Scarborough, Maine. I listened while sanding wood for a meditation bench I'm making for my son. I listened driving to and from Portland. This conversation is about many things, including regionalism, belonging, and the often problematic form we call travelogue. It made me think about my relationship to Maine. I'll always be from away, and yet I also feel a kind of rootedness here that I'm not sure I know. How to feel in New York City, even though I was born in Manhattan and lived almost all of my life there. I don't know if it's the concrete or the population density that has made it difficult for me to grow roots in New York City, even though more than any other place in the physical world, it is my home. I also thought while listening so do I identify as an East Coaster? Is that a meaningful region to me? Not really. Maybe because I'm Jewish and the child and grandchild of immigrants. Maybe because New York City and Scarborough, Maine seem so different to me from each other, although both are for sure places manufactured by recreation and both decidedly not West Coast and not Midwestern. I do identify as a person who lives on a coast, and this summer, as in summers past, I've tried to go in the ocean every day I can, no matter how cold the water. And when I do, I feel myself doing what Mohab Solomon describes as reaching for wilderness through all these ways of belonging. As I walk the beach near where I live, tend the crazy little garden behind my house, I hear Mohab saying, for better or worse, I don't have a history here. What history I have is with New York City, but even that feels constantly changing, just like how the beach is truly a different beach every morning that I step out onto it. Moeb and Valentine talk about being outsiders, sometimes tourists or travelers, about belonging, about Moheb's problem with things that are too beautiful, including poems sometimes, a problem with beauty that I absolutely share with him. It's a fabulous episode. Moheb's book, Homes is a fabulous book, and I know you will enjoy this conversation as much as I did. In honor of this episode, Commonplace's partner organization will donate $250 to the Alliance for the Great Lakes, chosen by Moheb Solomon. The Alliance for the Great Lakes is a nonpartisan nonprofit group working to protect the fresh, clean and natural waters of the Great Lakes. I hope you will join Commonplace in donating money to your local regional organizations working to protect our precious resources, and I hope that if you're able, you'll become a Commonplace patron or make a one-time donation to the podcast. You can do this at patreon.com slash commonplacepodcast or on our website, commonpodcast.com. For this episode, some members of the Commonplace Book Club will receive a copy of Homes by Moheb Solomon, courtesy of Coffeehouse Press. On our website, you can sign up to become a member of the Commonplace Book Club or to receive our per-episode newsletter, and you can also register for the newest Commonplace School course, a full-year live virtual reading and making group called Reading with Rachel. I hope each of you has had at least a few moments of adventure, rest, belonging and dreaming this summer. And I wish everyone Shana Tova, may you be inscribed in the book of life. And now here is Valentine Conedy and Moheb Solomon.
1: All right, so we are recording. Right now, as we've just said in our test, we are on the 24th floor of the Grand Sheraton Hotel in Seattle, uh, in the vicinity of AWP. Um, You've just come from the convention center. I have come from Capitol Hill. Mm -hmm. I think to get us into the Great Lakes region, um, I would love if you would start by reading Page 22. I don't know if this is a title, The Memory Cards Maxed, starting there. Okay. Okay, here I go.
2: Memory Cards Maxed, Ludington to Sleeping Bear Dunes. Somebody sees us here, conjured us in a nuclear canoe, looking behind ourselves and smiling at where we've come and holding it, hold it, got us. Someone pictured us, crowded in a khaki rainbow, bent over a sunset post. The moment saved for the moment, safe. Just hold it, holding it. They captured us, frogs, butterflies, wildflowers, Micro creameries, breweries, habitats, deer, and far in the rear view, but also square in our headlights. Recreation for recreation, for they had to restore the nature to remaster the soundtrack to our summered future or we die. Groping in VR video at the synthesized bells of a crosswalk for our stroller. Where is she? and a set of glinting turtles before they scroll off into the surf. They projected many here, posing, prone, big to small, on a living log, then shot and chopped together into a humus-colored film for us to float in. Hold it. Then hold it. Now hold it. All our life. Life so babyish in our one shared, lipless, two-hand, wiping water off the face of the planet. Last one. Here we go. Look at me. One more. Era. Smile. Now glint. Glimmer for a second. Recreate. Now recreate. For a second time. A picture then. Picture now. Now. Picture then. Picture. Then now. Picture now. Then picture then.
1: Picture us. Thank you. So I wanted to start with just like jumping into reading something because, um, you know, this book is so much about traveling and sort of immersive and the immersive experience of place. And I think that, it, you know, in some sense, we could have started anywhere in the mm-hmm. book. Uh, but I, I just like that one.
2: Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> um, I don't get to read that often. Not that I read these often at all. But I really do actually like that poem in the book.
1: Good. So do you think this is not a question I had planned? But are these like separate poems? Or do you consider them like, all part of one work or both?
2: I feel that they're definitely separate poems. Okay. Um, They just kind of keep hitting their head against some of the same things. Yeah. So, you know, there are sort of attempts over and over to capture a place in, you know, like a hundred different places of that place because it's looking at the whole region, but through you know all of these different moments of stopping and 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 the titles you know kind of kind of try to um address that like where is this place but even what is a place is it just a stretch of a beach is it a proper noun of a town um and that kind of trying to kind of conceptually play with that I think led me to make the titles um these almost like journal asides like the the heading of a journal entry on the side that isn't really very formal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that kind of also might add to the question of whether they're one poem or, or separate poems, but um, I'd like to think they kind of can, yeah, move between that.
1: And it, it's funny, you talking about this actually leads really well into my first question, which is about form and the travelogue broadly yeah. as a form. Um, and i guess like how how the book became a book so yeah. did you start out with this idea of this project and then you wrote into finding a form as you were traveling or were you traveling first and then found yourself writing in this pattern mm-hmm. or so i guess did form or like project idea or like the traveling itself all what happened <sighs> first and how did that yeah. sort of sequence happen.
2: I really love that question as a beginning to this because I feel that like this whole this book is just an accumulation of poems that almost came out of a like constant engagement with the region. Um, doing a lot of different things, but throughout continuing to write, you know. Um, a lot of them came out of like two different chunks of um, immersion in the region in 2007 and then in 2015, where I had the chance to, like, really spend, like, months circling this, you know, borderland, but also bioregion. So it's coherent yet divided. Mm -hmm. I was just doing a lot of, like, site, I don't know if the word would be site-specific writing, you know, just writing on the go, you know, like, showing up and wanting to capture a place and not feeling too precious about capturing it because really being there was so like, sublime, you know, it's just so amazing, and seeing such, like, really beautiful hidden pockets of the Midwest, and, you know, these, like, oceanic spaces, you know, where you wouldn't think, you know, Michigan would offer that or something, and, you know, and I think in a really great way, the the work just, like, really accumulated without being too self-conscious of a form, because I didn't know until I maybe had a critical mass that this could be a book, because I was preoccupied with doing other things with some of these texts, like some performance work and some other interdisciplinary work that the texts were kind of leading towards. So it was like really notes, poetic notes, and I would find myself like working them up into poems, maybe when I was like home for months at a time or in deep winter when I wasn't kind of like preoccupied with like the visceral phenomenological experience of place and, you know, in a way was like working with the memory. So, yeah, I think in a nice way, you know, they had obviously a conceptual rigor because they were just about a constant engagement with this region, but they they could really just go a lot of different directions because they were so personal to to my encounter with those places and my trying to think about what my, what place I hold within, you know, this the Midwest and North America and you know, the the poems like go a lot of different directions in terms of subject and sometimes very personal, sometimes very like kind of, you know, contemporary nature writing and environmental work even. And the content was like there already. So I just kind of had the freedom to like work with what the accumulation looked like by the end. That makes sense.
1: That does make sense. And it's amazing how like formally coherent it came out in that. I mean, obviously at some point you did start to conceive of yes. it as a book, yes. but, um, I was describing the book to Rachel this morning and I was like, it's remarkably consistent in the way that the poems move across the page. And there's like a lot of interesting variations within that sort of pattern. But like, because of that, there is this immersive quality to it. You talked about having the the two trips, the, or 2007, and I think you said 2015. Yeah. Are the poems in the book chronologically sequenced, or yeah. did that sort of, did they get put in in, like, other ways?
2: That's a great question, too, because that was a really big, it really could have gone different directions. And when I was finally working on the book in earnest as a collection, you know, with Coffeehouse Press and, you know, my editor there, we talked about the temptation of, well, m- multiple, um, you know, scaffolds for how this could be. Like, is it chronological? Is it spatial? You know, do you really want to make it mirror the experience I had of starting in one point and, cir- cause, you know, the, the Great Lakes are one body of water. You really can just literally trace the coastline and end up where you started. But, you know, the, the book... And, and the, the dream, I guess, of the poems is kind of trying to think about this as one place, uh, as fractured as it might be. So I really wanted to kind of go against that and deliberately put poems next to each other that were from across the region. So you're on Lake Ontario for a couple of poems, and then you're over on Lake Superior, and then there's Lake Erie, and then you're back to Ontario. And to sort of crisscross the region and not make it seem like it's a trip at all and sort of give it like a, not a stasis, but you know, this is one place and we can just look at all of these places together uh, no matter how far they are because they have kind of like a historic logic, you know, that the region was settled, you know, and and populated by different, you know, groups for so long. And there's a, an economic like connection, you know, because of the, industries that grew up around it and the environmental issues are you know span the entire region because the water is moving through the entire thing so it's like no let's look at it in its entirety but part of me feels like well yeah what did get lost maybe is a sense of exploration like literally moving from one place to 20 miles down the road 100 miles down the road Um,
1: yeah i think I definitely understand what you mean, and the idea that, like, no matter where you are within the region, the whole region exists at the same time, and is still coherent. That is uh, really resonant with this other idea that I've been thinking about so much, um, reading your book, which is just, like regionalism as like a kind of critical and creative practice, Mm. specifically in like the work of the poet Lorin Niedeker. Yes. Um, And the way that the watershed itself can be a kind of, I mean, is literally a creative force. Hmm. Literally (laughs) the force that's like tying together these like different languages, these different peoples. But yeah, um, yeah. Well, (laughs) the
2: regionalism thing, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I sort of sometimes worry that, you know, how how can this book be relevant to anyone that's outside the region, you know? And I want to think that anyone interested in thinking about regionalism can apply this immersion to just thinking about their own regions, you know? And um, I got I was really busy touring this book like all around the Great Lakes when it came out and I really neglected showing up with it to like the East Coast and the West Coast where there are such high profile literary spaces and communities and i got like really burnt out on trying to like really show up like i was saying you know to to some really weird little corners that i just felt like this we have to have a reading in bayfield michigan you know that's a node of the of the region and i don't care if there isn't a you know new bookseller there and we're just going to make this work and i did that you know one too many times and just really kind of burnt myself out <laughs> but you know I just kind of felt like that was the, it was the logical conclusion of this whole project to go out and after consuming and seeing and, you know, to sort of desiring so many of those small corners, coming back, working up this whole collection, what else would I do but show right back up to the region and put that book back out there in all of those places? And I, I think, like I was saying, you know, at the start here with, the, with this question, like it you want to think that the concept of regionalism is just applicable, you know, everywhere. And you know, we think of the the coasts like as these coherent geographical identities, like when you're an east coaster or a west coaster, you're identifying with the region in a sense, you know, and uh, we don't really think about that that much with flyover land. Um, and you know, yet here we have this like inland sea in the middle of the continent that, really has just as much coherence and is a coast you know it's some people call it the third coast although then there's the Gulf of Mexico people who would mm-hmm. call that the third coast but we'll talk about that some other time yeah I'm like I'm really stimulated by that notion of being able to belong to this way larger than life place and I see that so easily when people identify with coasts you know so I sort of like relish the idea of thinking about it in the middle
1: I mean I can only speak for myself but um as someone who is not from the midwest great lakes region but is from the southeast oh, like yeah. i'm from birmingham alabama i've lived in georgia i've lived in florida i have like spent a lot of time in tennessee mississippi even as far west as uh, louisiana and so mm. i understood that regionalism because it's sort of something that i have felt and a way I've understood my own experience existing in all of those different yeah. spaces. And with
2: is that that's the South, right? Yeah. I mean people really do think about that in in such a more coherent way, you know, than... they
1: do. But also the South has very contested borders. Yeah. <laughs> but that's like a very different right. <laughs> different conversation. Right.
2: right. In other books. Really many books out yeah. there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But one of the you you mentioned belonging, and I want to sort of hone in on that for a second because one of the things that I was thinking about, thinking about the travelogue as a form, is how historically the travelogue has been such a colonial form, mm. um, but I feel like the way that you used it and accessed it sort of just totally bypassed that mm. and tapped into that regionalism as a mode of belonging, so even if you were not a local, you were still mm-hmm. not a tourist, you know you were maybe a visitor, maybe a traveler, but like hmm. not like there was not that extractive relationship hmm. to the um to the places and to the people hmm. and to the language and the landscape so while you were on this journey, these journeys, mm-hmm. um, and writing this book, I guess, were you aware? I mean, I'm sure you were aware of the sort of history of the travelogue as a yeah. and How were you thinking about it? Yeah.
2: At I felt like I, that's, yeah, that's really interesting to me because I, I think that the book oftentimes really, there's a frustration with experiencing places as a tourist mm-hmm. that, and I think that shows up in a lot of poems to the point where even the, the poem that you had me read there first is um, thinking about the the manufacturing of a place for recreation. And, you know, that's like the lifeblood of so many of these spaces, you know, they're beach towns. And um, when, you know, I showed up, you know, that's my entry point. And I'm I'm so aware of that, that sometimes that can really feel like I can't penetrate beyond that, you know, because there's a local world here that I'm not meant to be privy to you know it's almost being protected from the likes of me but at the same time that's like the livelihood of this place and so in a way you are experiencing a very real dimension of you know interaction and you can see how there is belonging happening for the people on the other side of this you know tourist infrastructure and you know you you can sort of almost romanticize it you know i just remember so many times moving through some of these really beautiful towns. And, you know, it's like, it's dusk. I'm heading to a hotel or a campground and all of the homes are lighting up across the bay. And, you know, there's just this romance of like domesticity and family and, you know, like Midwestern sort of traditions. And it's something I think I really aspire to and, you know, fantasize about as an immigrant. And that's kind of the project of immigration is assimilate, like self Propelled assimilation, but I'm also really aware too of the dangers of that, and you know some of the really ugly parts of like Midwestern traditional, you know, you know um, customs and beliefs, I guess. And uh, so you can kind of straddle that. I mean, and that's kind of what I thought I feel is really liberating. Like for better and for worse, I don't have a history here. Um, you know, I'm I'm the first generation and so i'm sort of free of some of that the burdens of the history and yet i kind of also get to then figure out how do i fit into them and how am i complicit with them i mean this is a whole other subject but real quick like i do think that a number of the poems are kind of preoccupied with like triangulating sort of immigrant narratives of this region native indigenous narratives of it and then like settler narratives uh you know which are the portal for immigrants so you know, how do these people groups kind of sit next to each other, especially in a region that has, like, deeply complex, rich histories, you know, of settlement and, you know, indigeneity. And um, and then you've got places like, you know, Detroit and Toronto and, you know, where immigration, like, was huge. And um, so these are just really stimulating stories. And they're, like, all entry points to a region that, honestly, in the end, I'm just really feeling like, really enamored with for, like, natural, uh, you know, nature reasons. And to sort of try to, like, reach for wilderness through all of those ways of belonging in in the region, uh, to me is, like, really, you know, exciting. And, like, it kind of gives you a lot to work with.
1: Yeah. And one thing I'm thinking about now is also, like, the ways that some of those sort of nodes of belonging... Intersect and overlap, you know, like the immigrant, indigenous, and settler identities are not necessarily totally disconnected. I mean, a a lot of people within the region have many, if not all of those identities at the same time in their histories, which is also complicated. Right. But... um, when you were writing this and thinking about belonging and thinking about approaching these spaces and approaching these communities as an immigrant and also as, you know, a, a outsider in the sense of just being, like, not a part of that community, I guess there's this sort of personal project of trying to become in some small way part of that community and then there's the creative project of trying to write in a way that is authentic to that community without being extractive of that community and so like when you were there both living and writing what sort of things were you thinking about and how how were you living and writing in a way that felt, um, non-extractive.
2: Yeah. That's, that's so hard. I think when the poems succeed, they're doing a good job of like rendering, you know, there's a lot of like details, you know, just places and, you know, descriptions and, you know, all of the junk and the commerce and the docks and the, you know, Mm -hmm. it's almost kind of trying to be myopic. You know, you don't want to step back and look too grandly and kind of create a narrative because it's it's not your narrative. And, you know, sometimes maybe the poems, like, don't get deep enough. You know, sometimes... But I, it's just the kind of writer I am. Like, I really think of them as renderings, you know, and um, as, associative, like, trying to kind of tie in your own subjectivity to, to something you might be able to kind of touch that is... Objective in the sense of being material, you know, there is land and water here, and it's it's beautiful. And how how can you be with it? And uh, you know, where can you kind of leave yourself behind and not really worry even about identity when you can kind of think about place? Um, that's where I think the book can be successful. You know, I don't think it happens with every poem, and like I was saying before. In some ways, some of the coherence is because the book is just hitting its head against that desire to like really capture, you know, if only it could if only words could capture this like very visceral experience, you know, and they're so limited. And yet it's what we have even perceiving, you know, when you throw the car in park and run out to see the sunset or wherever, like, you know, you perceive it in some ways consciously with language and that's that's almost heartbreaking you know but that's what you've got so why not just really stick to that moment of encounter instead of trying to kind of come up with like a a wise poem about that moment
1: (laughs) yeah I think you should read something else while (laughs) I am reacting to what you just said I would love to uh is there anything in particular that you have picked out
2: there are so many poems here that I feel like speak to what I was just talking about. This is the thing about also deciding not to have a table of contents. Mm-hmm. Where, where like, when you're trying to find something, you're like, it would have just been simple. I should have just had some page numbers. But Yep,
1: this is also <clears> why <throat> I read this as a long poem.
2: Oh, yeah, of course, right. I just think with poetry collections, like, don't people really just hop around? Like yeah. So I kind of thought, oh, I didn't think about what the real functional purpose of a table of contents were. Mm -hmm. I was, I just thought like, well, people are just going to move all over the place.
1: Yeah, but no, I, but I love thinking, I love that you thought about like, because sometimes the way that books are made is not always exactly the way that they are used. Right. And I love that you were thinking about that. Right, right.
2: Maybe I'll give this one a go. Okay. Well, this poem's called Geneva State Park, No Sight of the Lake, Geneva on the Lake, Ohio, which really tells you a lot about Ohio's lakefront. It's sad. Last night we snuck into the state park real late to sleep in my tent by the car on the paved driveway of a muddy site drizzle invisible in a wood pervasive with knocked-out buckeyes. Corn-fed and golden-haired in the fires put out, a thick gauze sat, whispering undocumented. We gulped each half an orange watermelon. Two itinerant sore thumbs stuck out in the wooded preserve among cornstalks. We feasted on watermelon as a family, For dinner with feta pita diet coke last night we stole a night in our home state state park but didn't go down to mom and dad's didn't see the cleveland relatives browns indians games mounds grandma's grave last night it rained rain rained and nothing heard the lake stir once from the downpour the morning was too quiet, black and slick. We split for a diner then, always novel to us, before any sighting in the woods of us. Lights head low with the sun soon too to clean its plate in the vapor of our gross great lake, us, the vapor that's our family. That's
1: it. Thank you. Um something else that just sort of occurred to me about the way that you write is like, so for this other conversation I was having with, um, Gabrielle Octavia Rooker, we we were talking about timeliness versus timelessness Mm. in poetry and like what sort of, what that means in, like, practice, um, like, with the kind of details that you choose, but also, like, how that can be sort of subverted. Um, And we were talking about how both of us really love and respond to, like, poetry that sort of seeks a connection with that timelessness. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting in that, like, the way that that is actually written can also look like detail, like like transcribing an experience and i think what hmm. i just noticed is that even though the that was a description of your experience of place the way that you select details does tend to be more like timeless than mm. timely which but you can obviously push back on that mm. if that's <clears throat> i don't know so what do you, what do you think yeah. about time
2: you know that's, that's a great point well, it, it just makes me think of, like, how how difficult it is to really capture a moment in writing, you know? And it's so fleeting when you experience it. It's so eternal when you remember it, you know? And uh, I would like to think that, yeah, these poems are really trying to deal with memory as much as, like, capturing something in, in the moment. Where it could have just been a much more, you know, like a catalog, you know, an account, like a catalog of just what's here, who's here in this space campground on the you know side of lake erie but i guess i want to think that you know memory um is like wonderfully i don't know incomplete in 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 the same way that experiencing something in the moment is like even though they're so different as experiences but i don't know it's, i'm thinking about how like poetry I just love how poetry can really be non-narrative and associative and um, it really captures memory in that way, you know, that uh, that it doesn't have to like tell you the whole story and it can hone closer to the memory that way. The book and these poems to me have sort of a really melancholic like feeling because there's a real awareness of the loss of experience and the need to render it to hold on to it and how that pales in comparison. So it's trying to really capture that experience just as much as it's trying to capture the supposedly like quote unquote present moment of showing up to, you know, Traverse City and Mm -hmm. running around it, you know, and it's got a real interiority that way, you know, that as much as it like, purports to be like a book about the entire Great Lakes and, you know, a hundred plus places all along the shoreline, you know, it's really much more about like a subjective experience of like the desire to, to sort of disappear into the world and into wilderness and into communities that you don't really belong to, you know, and all of those desires, it's like, they're just, there's like a melancholic, you know, it won't ever complete itself, you know, as much as we're a part of the natural world, and this is a big part of our discourse right now, that, you know, humans aren't separate. I mean, I have a really hard time kind of following that to the end because I do feel that there's a profound difference in how much we are able to control and shape that world to the point where we're not really a part of it in the same organic way that so many other parts of it are, you know. And a lot of the poems, like, sometimes absurdly, you know, and I mean, I could even read some of those, like, like, absurdly play with that idea that, you know, we created this place, you know, the hiking trail, like, is actually, it's not just some natural path, you know, there's a lot that has gone into making you feel that you are here at one in a harmonious, quiet moment in the woods or on the lake, and, you know, so our hand is, like, so strong in those places, and, it would be really like naive to just write a poem about being out in the woods without also being aware about, of how we came to that, that place and how humans are really uh, yeah, sort of different and yet a part of.
1: You were saying that you wanted to read some of the poems that uh, did like sort of play on the idea of us creating the space, and yeah. I want to hear you read those. Sure,
2: so. yeah. Let me see if I can find that. I think that one that I read kind of did do that, but um, the 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 one the one that, w- that was the one that you had me start out with was sort of talking about that you know they created a place for us you creation know creation and recreation yeah exactly creation and recreation I'm, I'm like I have like weird I'm like oh but wait this is also a Lake Erie poem I need to represent all of the lakes you know I, I can't read another Lake Erie poem okay I'm gonna read this poem it's called Great Black Swamp Come Heavy Use Wetlands. Powers of Toledo, origin song. Who let this wetland wet? Who cut this little inlet? Laid the hill for golden hours? Fit the logs with the salamanders? Foretold the lichen and the mosses? Who offered the wildlife crossing? Along this promenade I sing about how the world's made my behorned serenade to nobody but who wet this aggregate? Who raised this bamboo deck? Who had these grasses mown? Who made the birches grow in groves? Who made this prairie, Zarek, carved out a space for heron? This is my behorned little dirge. I sing along this little bridge about how this little world's birthed by nobody. But who left this river wet, sowed the embankment, set the grade for the slope of the island, spawned the minnows to feed the walleye? Who knows the ripples till flood? Who reads the dried out flats of mud? About how the world's mocked up, I sing along this ply boardwalk. This is where the trombones stop for nobody, by no body but you local. No melody but vocals, as is, la la, la li, la la's, la lee's, as is.
1: I love that you chose one that has the sort of musical wordplay in yeah. it. Yeah. Um, There's a
2: number of kind of poems in this book that are like kind of songs.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, have you ever read Cecily Nicholson's um, Wayside Sang? No. Okay, you would love I'm that, write that book. down. It's um, it is a book about border crossings between the U.S. and Canada. So obviously that's resonant with this, but specifically wow. along the Detroit Windsor border. Um, yeah, I want to read that. Her father was an itinerant musician and a um freight truck driver. Wow. And because of that she like grew up crossing this border. Mm-hmm. Um and it's it's literally like <clears throat> a song sort of in the in, in continuation of the sort of music that her father made. That's so um, cool. Anyway, she's awesome. I'd uh, love to read I that. haven't met her but her poetry is awesome. Yeah. So yeah.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure why some of these in here are songs. Like I guess at some point in time i had wanted to i did a lot of driving and traveling and always listening to music and i just somehow wanted music to enter the book and i at first had sort of played with some like way too kind of pop cultural ways to do that but mm-hmm. i just uh had kind of written some things that were sort of song like for some collaborations with other friends you know and they just kind of seemed like they would take up a different space in the book because there's a lot of language play anyway and so why not just kind of really go there in that lyrical
1: way okay two questions what were the pop culture things that failed that were like the outtakes and also i want to hear more about these collaborations yeah so
2: well i just listened to a bunch i was you i mean there's a poem in here that talks about all the country music that you hear when you're out there in the middle of nowhere that's really much pretty much all you're getting you know is country music religious talk shows and you know maybe some like oldies stations if you're lucky so it's the same in the south yeah I'm sure. <laughs> right but like some you know stereotypically at least maybe some of that country seems to belong in the south whereas like you're like in the up of michigan you're like yeah. or up in canada and you're like what is this doing here you know how did this get up here It's the folk, you know, it's those folks. Um, So I kind of just thought about like, yeah, incorporating, you know, like weird bro country um, lyrics (laughs) into some (laughs) of the poems. And that has since spawned some other really weird projects that just go full on into like thinking about belonging to some of these more rural, you know, real America places. Kind of fantasizing um, about that belonging through a fantasy of being like a country musician myself, or, or sort of using, uh, you know, friends who are quote unquote from here, uh, as kind of like my surrogate uh, cowboys or like country boys, and so those are some of the collaborations that I've been doing with friends.
1: So they're they're connected.
2: In a way, they are. Okay. You know, in a way, they are because it's kind of an extension of like the desire to kind of belong and fantasize about being from this region, you know, it's really about fantasizing about America and like, you know, who gets to say they're from here and and how, what are the kind of like tools that allow that? Like music is just such a big one, you know? Um, So yeah, I guess, you know, I've, I've found myself for a long time, like working with poetry in, interdisciplinary ways. And, you know, it's always just had kind of like language and text at the core of that. And so performance projects, installation projects, and, you know, have happened and with some of these poems and homes, but, you know, throughout those poems were just there. And I felt like they really like deserve to just live on their own, that they don't have to constantly be animated through some circus, you know, they can just be a book of poems and why not? And like, why am I scared to like call myself a poet? And, i mean gosh being here at awp you know it's like it's a it's a intimidating space like the lit world is intimidating and it's got some serious orthodoxies that you know you if you didn't come up through an mfa program through a certain community and you just don't feel like you can belong you can't call yourself a poet or so i've, I've really struggled i think with that inferiority a lot, and. It's weirdly played out by me, wonderfully, luckily, getting to find, uh, you know, traction in other art forms that feel more inherently experimental than, like, literature.
1: Yes. <laughs> I, I love that. Oh, my God. So I um, have also had, like, a sort of non-traditional background as a writer and yeah. it's in some ways led me away from poetry like mm-hmm. like you were sort of saying like I'm working on a play right now yeah and that has allowed me to be as weird as <laughs> as I used to think poetry was yes right you know, yeah but um we're not talking about me and there was another thought that I had but I don't remember what it was do you want to read um maybe <clears throat> a one of your works in progress of your like
2: like just read something that isn't from homes at all if you want I mean sure I I mean it it would just be more fun I mean who knows there's this project that I've been doing it's called We're Back with an exclamation mark and it uh, like I was saying before it just uses these friends of mine from different periods of my life that I've still held on to who are again quote unquote from here you know and We've kind of put together this we've put together this kind of like what I call a para country. it's like it's not meta country, it's para like almost you know, like paramilitary or something, and it's like a country music project or something. Uh, We're back is a conceptual country music video, so it's a video project, kind of like a country music. Uh, video you know but it's kind of more I think of it as performance art because there's a bit more of a like it's a bit more of just you know who are we physically relationally together Mm -hmm. and just it it is based around this poem or song that uh, my friend Josh Thoreau and I worked up so we're back we told them where the hell from they yelled back ohio boys where everybody's from where the corn grows high and the state fair lights up the night we're back together whenever we don't belong we're back alone whenever we go back home we're back on the street looking for a butt looking for a light an excuse and a reason we're back on the road for another night another season chasing a dream a goose that can't be tamed, a gun that sings, a heart with wings, a state that can't be named, a mind. We're back, we told them. Where the hell from, they yelled back. Oklahoma, boys, where we're all from. They said, love it or leave it. They made us love it, then made us leave. Don't even know what that's supposed to mean. Home is a state a being inside, a long twisted river and some straight shootin' lines. Country is a state of being outside, with the keys corded up in a measure of barbed wire. Got no home country or country home to retire, but we're still comin' on with our monstrous truck tires. Cause we're back. We're back, we told them. Where the hell from, they yelled back. Michigan. Boys, where everybody's from. Minnesota boys. Yeah, we're just some Texas boys from Cleveland, Delaware, Alexan at the panhandle of Egypt in a pretty little ville in Cannes. Lansing, pure Michigan, no Michigan City in Indiana. Or slave state, Kansas City, not the lesser known in Cannes. Moved quick out of Oklahoma, a rest of the heartland. Looking for Miss America at the the International House of Pans. Don't let them tell you the future's female, though that's just as bad a jam. The state's a house of wafflin boys. America, they's trans, 50-odd borders drawn in water, blood, and crayon. Yeah, hell, what else the heart suffers at the fat, pale hand of man? But the heart's a-muscle, boys. It don't break for no law, hit, shah, space, cave, whew, man, phew. No attack and damn sure no Cadillac Escalade EXT luxury pickup. So step on it, boys, because we're going back. And it goes on into this kind of like rambling we're back from different places and uh, messing with different like states. I just won't, We'll I'll just stop there.
1: Okay. Well, I'm really glad you read that. <laughs> that was really cool.
2: There's a whole video you can just see elsewhere that's complete.
1: Okay. I definitely want to see that too. So that question that I had on my that my tongue, and couldn't remember, was a question about, you know, you said that you have this, like, non-traditional background in terms of, like, writing. You didn't come from an MFA program. You sometimes feel like an outsider in those spaces. What, what like, texts and spaces and authors... Um, and ideas were, like, useful to you Mm. as you sort of educated yourself?
2: Oh, yeah. Every time you get those questions, you, like, blank out, you know? We have (laughs) time. Right. Um, I I, I, I came to poetry through, like, spoken word, you know, uh, New York City, like, um, spoken word scenes and, like, even like yeah you know Neoricacan poets cafe and these like really super identity community driven spaces that you know maybe as like a person of color without the self-consciousness of that at the time I just kind of found myself gravitating towards because it was really like playing out other communities and identities that I wasn't seeing in the poetry that I was most easily getting my hands on I mean of course, there's an incredibly rich, historically rich, like, uh, you know, body of poetry coming from all ends. But, you know, as a younger person, I just kind of found myself, like, really excited by that kind of poetry that was performative and musical. And but at the same time, like, I think I really quickly just felt like oh, it's just a form, you know, it it seems so repetitive. And the ways the ways people were, you know, putting on like, like the affect of it. And I just didn't feel like spoken word was really kind of freeing, you know, in the end, even though it seemed like it from pivoting from more traditional poetry. So that's where it sort of became something I thought about more as like performance art, you know, and Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I could say, like, musicians are coming to my mind, you know, like, thinking about, like, David Byrne or something, and, you know, how that's just such a musical, like, act. Uh, But there's so much more performance work there, you know. As far as, you know, really, like, poetry, uh, you know, I was really always moved by Walt Whitman. And... There's so much language there, you know, um, so much romance, so much like it's like a, so much abandon, you know, you just feel like he was really going for it all the time. And um, and so much like love of wilderness, but also nation and civilization. And I thought that was really interesting that that didn't seem to like pose a conflict, you know, that we think of him as a nature poet, but really he's got so much romantic Writing about the opposite. So that to me was, yeah, kind of a revelation. Some, for some reason, Etheridge Knight is coming to my mind as a really amazing, like, musical black poet who, you know, spent a lot of time in jail, I think, and, you know, and yet was, like, really kind of a Shakespearean writer in weird ways. Just seeing these, like, really strange mishmashes, you know, that can actually live in one person's work seemed to kind of say, well, just go for it you know and work with what you're working with and you know you can just make something if you really kind of commit to it you know like commit to the bit you know this is like this we're back project is you know it's a poetry project it's a performance project it's a music project and it still has like all of these themes that I'm still thinking about even in writing just regular poems like in homes you know it's playing with notions of like what does it mean to belong somewhere and who can speak to that? And, um, you know, it's thinking about transience. It's thinking about, like, different parts of America and how they think of themselves differently, and yet you can move through them all and kind of find a way to, you know, see them together. And
1: So what you said about um, Walt Whitman's, like, romance of the nation made me think about, like just how much of this book is like transnational um, and is not like yeah. exclusively like it is about border crossing Yes. Yeah. Um, and I guess that um, I imagine being an immigrant that made the border crossing a more salient experience, mm. but how does the idea of like, crossing borders and even, I guess, the existence of borders play out in this book. For yeah. You. And I guess in the experience of travel.
2: <clears throat> right. I mean, yeah. So, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, the Great Lakes is a region that is uh, in between Canada and the U.S. And so the entire province of Ontario, the entire province of Ontario has the Great Lakes within its geopolitical boundaries whereas the Great Lakes in the U.S. are like eight different states. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that, you know, in Canada, maybe just for that reason alone, there's a sense of the region as a whole, whereas maybe in the U.S. it's more fractured because we're so obsessed with our state identities and Michigan versus Ohio. And, you know, so thinking about the region in its multiple borders is interesting, you know, and they kind of break down when, when you think about it as one ecologically coherent region and yet you know it it is so differently affected by all of its pieces like if Ontario no matter how well Ontario might take care of the Great Lakes on that side you know if Ohio is doing a terrible job and Minnesota is doing a good job you know it, all of them actually affect the same region and so i, I guess i latched onto that because My family isn't from here, but I've grown up mostly, yeah, in Ohio, and now, you know, I live in Minnesota now. And those places just haven't really meant that much to me. I mean, of course, I grew up there, and I know what they are in their separateness. I've also lived in Toronto and Montreal, and so found myself on the other side of the border. And it's just kind of... I both really see the borders, and also, yeah, I guess kind of fantasize about how they don't exist, you know, and and kind of really enjoy thinking about, like, the Great Lakes having the... The the U.S.-Canadian border is the longest border in the world between two countries, and yet most of it is in the Great Lakes. It's a dotted line in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the water, you know? So it's like a... I enjoy saying it's, like, literally a porous border, you know? And Mm -hmm. that's so strange, and that's so... It causes us to just really question how geopolitical boundaries uh you know shape geography, you know human geography versus natural geography, and um you know that's where kind of that's where people sit like um, and then of course, you then think about if you if you look at the history it the region has a very different like native first nations history with how those communities migrated along the entire region and then once like the French and English and whatever showed up and started breaking it up, you know, they, that was kind of much more felt, you know, so when you show up as a first generation person and like enter this kind of place, you just have all of these almost different maps that lay on top of each other that just say a lot about different ways of experiencing that place and all the ways that that it's chopped up versus whole. And I guess I just think, yeah, those are all really, you know, there's, that just gives you a lot to work with um, when you're kind of trying to render this place and its complexity. I think I've been pretty lucky, like as a person, you know, I'm still very privileged in having citizenship. Like I was able to live in Canada. I've been able to move around wherever I want. And, you know, it's a far cry from like you know, refugees or, um, or some of those Native communities that are on the borders that are split completely in half and, you know, have a whole bureaucratic mess to, like, deal with. And so, you know, yeah, I guess being able to look at that from a much more, like, intellectual creative space is kind of interesting, too, because I'm not, like, at
1: the whim of it as much. You know, you talked about editing the book into a form in terms of, like... Sequencing the poems, but like within the individual poems, what was the editing process like? Where did it go from notes to poem?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a great question because to me, that's something I wanted to speak to about the form. You know, a lot of these poems are these justified text blocks with like internal line breaks, and a lot of them started as lineated poems. Uh, And I just liked the ones that weren't like that more because I felt like line breaks were too precious sometimes. Just in poetry, not just mine, but sometimes I just kind of bristle at line breaks, you know. Um, They make, yeah, sometimes they make poems feel too precious. And I wanted this to have a bit more of a, like, robustness, you know, that they're, they kind of just sit there on the page, you know, like a paragraph, you know, and yet I still love like the word play of like enjambment. And uh, so I came to a point where I thought, well, either all of these have to be these text blocks or they just all need to go to lineated. And I spent a lot of time like reworking so many of them into these text blocks And at one point, I was really terrified that, like, I've made the reading experience really hard for people. I don't know, because to me, I'm just so familiar with them. They're really, I I see them in my head, and I understand how they move, like, you know, aurally, you know. So it's part of the reason I, like, really appreciate the chance to read them, because I feel like if I can just get my voice into someone's head about the book, it'll just make the rest of the experience, you know, easier. A friend of mine kind of made this interesting point where they sort of seem more like lakes, like on the page, they just kind of pool there with some like gaps. And I think she was kind of first saying how the poems have a real flow. And then we were talking about how poems sometimes really feel like rivers, you know? And without really meaning to, I kind of forced these to have a bit more of like a lake, like, you know, here they are in one place and there there's the pooling you know that's happening so you know i i kind of appreciate thinking about them also as i don't know what the word would be you know it's not like concrete poetry at all but um just that they have also kind of escaped some of the trappings of poems for me um and as far as the writing and the editing you know I just am such a convoluted writer sometimes, and like I feel like a really sometimes poetry from your writing is like a problem solving, you know, like how do you just stack this house of cards up enough to sit and just back away before it falls down? So there's a lot of like weird logic in some of the phrasing and some of the um, the line breaks, and I I think I tried to go in and like strip out a lot without the thing falling apart to kind of just give it some of the rhythms that I wanted it to have or some of the images that I just like n- really wanted to be there but not like over you know what would be like over overwork it you know but gosh like I've been just been working on some of these for so long some of it really does feel like really overworked you know so it's hard sometimes you just have to like walk away you know and hope it doesn't like collapse when you move
1: um (laughs) it's fascinating what your friend said about it them being like lakes Mm. because one of the things that I was thinking while reading it was like it looks to me and I was thinking about this in terms of the Gulf of Mexico because that's the body of water that I'm most connected to but um I was thinking how it kind of looks like the sun setting on the water, how the like, yes. the breaking of the light on the surface of the water, the white space kind of becomes like that. Totally. But... Um, and there are
2: a few poems that are, uh, you know, right justified.
1: Yeah. Uh, just yeah. because
2: I guess I was like, no, I, I want some of these to just break up that experience for people, but I still didn't want... Somehow I felt that the line breaks happening on the other side of the poem just made them like less precious. I don't know.
1: Mm-hmm. I have one more question and then maybe we can end with reading one more. Great. So my last question, just sort of following up on what you mentioned before about why did you decide to lineate those specific ones? Mm -hmm. Like what about them made them need to be lineated for you? And also there's some that actually have like, both the sort of block form and also lineation yeah. within them
2: so yeah i just wanted the book to not be all constant blocks so even though i think it's it doesn't it's not apparent at all the book has a pretty specific formatting shift where it's like a certain number and i can't remember a certain number of those like blocked internal line breaks And then it goes to the ones that are sort of song-like with how we usually see lyrics written with the slashes. And then it'll like go to one poem that is right justified. Then it goes right back into these dense text blocks. Then again, it shifts to the song style. Then the right justified lineated. It was more like what poems can I stand to just let be lineated? And what ones do I feel are like way more interesting and almost just have more of like a logic or not a logic, but um, I think some of these poems are more compelling as sort of prose pieces in the ways that they work as a paragraph. Yeah, the book, having gone through that transformation, I think made it a lot stronger. So I just wanted to lean on that and yet still give the reader a break. So I kind of left ones that I didn't quite feel were that much better as a block poem um to, to fall on a page that way and some of them you know like this one you know a couple at the end are like you know they're in like stanzas of you know three lines or mm-hmm. so I just didn't want to take that apart yeah yeah
1: fair enough um what do you have any ideas about last poems
2: <laughs> yeah sure um I can read you, like, these couple that are almost at the very end, um, 83 and 84. Sounds good. Okay.
1: Oh, that way we get some lineated poems. Yeah. Nice.
2: Okay. So, yeah, I'm going to do that. I think these are just two very different poems, and one of them, I think, kind of hits that, like, identity piece in a way that I think worked, and then the other one is... I think about having a really beautiful time and not many of these poems get there. They almost get tripped up in all of the complications. And it's like, I wish some of the poems, uh, I wish there were more poems in this book that are just about like beautiful, wonderful times, but poetry doesn't, you know, you never really read joyous poems enough. We should. Yeah. This poem's called back parts. I've hit bottom friends rock. To you, your Mediterranean interred sea, where I am from. These are my dad's trunks. These are my dad's calves. These are my dad's chests. These are my dad's hands. This blood. My dad's. The sharks would come, but there are no sharks here. Where am I from, folks? We from, there's no predators here, save storms and waves of immigration. But all over the lakes are shaped like predators, seething wolf, leering shark, mouths, points, shipwrecks, stand, a better chance of a homecoming than the packs of immigrants that beached a drowned wolf, blinded shark, tongues warped into Wendat in English, naming, maiming, limbs of peninsulas, ripshod creatures claims for places that no one wants. Stuck together families like amphibious gangs, growing back parts. And the last poem I wanted to read to you is called On the Water. And the world Entire would load before your eyes. And there's no more. And caches clear and all songs stream at once. The sound delayed. Avatars retired. And all seasons complete at once. With the earth tilted on its axis, no more. The weekend's lightning, languorous, arms stretched after lunch. You can't take more. And the robes are soaked. Why, they can't absorb another drop. And what's more, washes over unimpeded now. And there's more. The morning after. All justice meted out. All grudges would be lost in the cloud and power would go out and all leisure would be more radical then. And the fight would go out of you with the world at your fingertips guiding your hand to the ends of luxury. It doesn't get any better than this. There's more of the same, and who could want
1: more? That's it. Thank you. I really appreciate
2: you like, being so thoughtful and talking in a really, uh, you know, meandering and w- wandering way through our thoughts. That's really much appreciated.
1: I appreciate it. It's been fun and it was a joy reading cool. the book, both Thank times you. that I've done it. I-
0: This has been episode 115 of Commonplace with Mohab Solomon and Valentin Conady. Many thanks to Coffeehouse Press and to all the publishers who give us great books for our listeners. Thank you to our patrons. You make Commonplace possible. Thank you to all the Commonplace school students. And thank you, listener, for your support and, most importantly, for listening. Oh, you.